This is Spain and Fitz. Happy Monday, everybody. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, back with you on ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We have a wild weekend of hoops to talk about. We have a crazy day in the NFL to get into. It is one of those Mondays where there is no way we fit everything in. We're going to do our best, though. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive makes bundling easy and affordable. Get a multi-poly policy discount by combining your car, home, motorcycle, commercial, auto, and more. All your protection in one place. Bundle and save at Progressive.com. We're going to bundle up a whole bunch of conversation fits about March Madness on the men's and women's side. And let's just start to you. What was one of your biggest, most maybe satisfying or impressive upsets of the weekend? Well, I mean, the upset world, let's just start and acknowledge, first and foremost, Sarah, that my bracket is just toilet paper <laughs> at this point. Like, it is, I, I spent all year covering college basketball, and it uh, yet again did not help me at all. But when I talk about, uh, I think, impressive upsets, only because I didn't see it coming from a mile away. Auburn was who I had winning it all this year. I realized that was a little bit, you know, could go either way. But uh, that one didn't work out for me. And uh, kudos for Miami for pulling off the uh, the upset there. I, I think I undervalued experience of playing together for a Miami team that just they, they look substantially better than Auburn. And I didn't see that coming. So that one really that, that put a nail in the coffin of whatever I thought I might have for my bracket. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's probably anyone that had St. Peter's unless maybe there was a really loyal alum of St. Peter's that was like, ah, let's give it a flyer. Uh, Cool thing about them, by the way, I don't don't have high hopes for them against Purdue. Uh, It's not like Purdue will be surprised to see them coming. Maybe that's underestimating a team that's already uh, outplayed expectations. I just think they're going to have a lot of trouble with Purdue's size. But a cool thing is they're cheerleaders and and sort of like the, the, the cheer team around the St. Peter's team is being sent to the next round by Peacock, the NBC streaming service, Mm. Uh, which is just a cool and smart thing for Peacock to do. Uh, I think we've all probably seen the reporting about the financial disparity between, you know, the entire program at St. Peter's for men's hoops is less than the salary of Calipari. (laughs) So that that massive financial difference there. And so I don't know if maybe the budget wasn't in in there for them to send everybody around, but for that to be comped and and for that tie-in with Peacock is pretty cool. I want some brand tie-in, though, where they do, like, the Law & Order chimes, ching, ching, and out of every timeout. Something to give Peacock okay. a little yeah, love yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, why not? Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. I that. like it. I also mentioned this when you weren't on the show, and I didn't get to hear your girlish giggle, but do you laugh when you say St. Peter's Peacocks? Because, like, what if it was any other saint other than maybe Johnson? If there was a St. Johnson, it would be funny, too. But St. Peter's Peacocks is funny. <laughs> There, somebody did that intentionally, too, right? Yeah, like, the, there's no way that yeah, that somebody happened Somebody snickered when they thought of, what if we named Peter's Peacocks? Uh Another another uh, massive upset that I want to talk about. A lot of people are talking about Iowa and Creighton, and that is a very cool story. Understanding that you know, you know Jensen, who hit the winning shot, was on Iowa, left for Creighton because she wanted more playing time. Ends up having more points in that game than she did all season with Iowa last year, and hits that game winning shot. They do an incredible job shutting down Caitlin Clark, but. Monica and I talked about this last week. Iowa, to me, was not a super deep team. That team was going to ride with Caitlin Clark if she had a huge game, and they were not going to be a big player to me otherwise, just depth-wise, even though it was a good season for them. So that was not as shocking to me as Baylor getting bounced by the South Dakota Coyotes. This is a Baylor team that had won 66 straight home games against non-conference opponents. They'd been to 12 straight Sweet 16s. Like This was a punch your card, you're already in, and – they're gone. That was wild. Yeah, that that was shocking. I, I guess I was a little more surprised than you were about Iowa. I understand the lack of depth. It's just 
Caitlin can shoot from anywhere. Right, in the right. second half, they just Creighton did a really nice job. I don't think, I think anybody this year that I've seen has uh, yeah. has shut her down that way. Mm-hmm. Like the help defense was spectacular in the second half, and I kept looking at it thinking, "There's no way she's going to go off at some point." But she just never got. Didn't matter where she was, she never got a comfortable look. So I, I kudos, tip of the hat to Creighton. But you're right, the, the fact that Baylor's out of it is. I think one of the more stunning upsets for all of us. That, both of my brackets, by the way, are straight toilet paper. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I went way too chalk on the women's side because, I, I don't know, in the end I'm like, okay, well, the people making the brackets, they've watched more than anyone, so don't they have the best guess? And then, <laughs> and then I'm like, no, no, they do not. Uh, it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Uh, last night's game, uh, TCU almost upsetting Arizona. The 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 dunk at the end at, that as Pablo Torre called it the Leroy Jan- Jenkins play like it's awesome that you went for it but if you just rolled it in finger roll or a little floater you win the game instead of trying to finish emphatically with a ball or dunk uh, and then I mean Eddie Lampkin Jr. was insane all game long I mean that was a really fun watch and I still feel confident in Arizona afterwards somehow even though they almost got dropped. Yeah, I think Arizona, much like Gonzaga, sometimes you just got to survive some of these moments, you know. And and what we saw from Gonzaga uh, in in the first half down by 10 at halftime to Memphis. And, you know, you watch Timmy get everybody together and and use his colorful language at the moment to inspire everybody to play a little tougher. And they came out different in the second half. Like, I just think some of these teams have to survive whatever the adrenaline is from the up and downs of the tournament to get through that. So I, I, tip of the hat again to Arizona and Gonzaga for surviving. And, and frankly, I know, you know, we're not sitting here talking about Duke, like they have a problem surviving, but they have this year. Like there have been multiple times that big moments have gotten to the players mm-hmm. for Duke. And I thought that was what was going to happen is the game went down and Michigan State started to pull away with a couple of minutes left. I thought this is the moment where Izzo is going to end Coach K's career, which is going to be wild for these teams mm-hmm. and instead suddenly Duke just turned it on and the pressure for the first time all year made them better and I look at that and think these are the things that you feed they're like the energy tablets the little like Pac-Man pellets that you feed off of that that help you later in the tournament so I think a lot of the seeds that one get a growth out of it I completely agree and Duke especially I think that you and I are among folks who have a much higher opinion of Duke's ability to move forward than we did when this tournament started just based on them fighting through the end of that game and you could tell the emotion from Coach K was a lot in part of, I don't know if he would have believed that they could get dig down and, and do that, right? That's a young team. It's a team that's had a lot of pressure on them all season long, knowing that it was his last run. And I think he was a little surprised and, and genuinely moved by them pulling it together. Seth Greenberg, ESPN basketball analyst, was on KJ and Max and talked about Duke advancing. I thought it was the first time they faced the pressure and dealt with it. I thought down five with, uh, you know, five minutes to go. What do you have to do? You know, you can either, you know, get lost in the moment or let the moment overtake you. And I thought what they did was really kind of incredible. Uh, they, they got stops on the defensive end. You can't get back in the game unless you get stops. They got stops on the defensive end. They played through Bala Pangaro on the block. He drove it. He didn't settle. I thought defensively just that five-minute period, they were terrific. And then Jeremy Roach is probably the unsung hero of this team. I mean – Putting him back in the starting lineup, his ability to pressure the ball some, his ability to make some big shots, I was really impressed with their execution down the stretch. Yeah, I mean, it, it was uh, it was a good sign for Coach K that the run continues, and if you saw the stats up on the screen after the game ended, the next game they play, if they win against Texas Tech, it would be Coach K's 100th NCAA tournament win. Only five programs have reached 100 tournament wins in the history of their programs, and he's got... 100 on his own as head coach. Pretty impressive. 
Yeah, I just need this not to end with a national championship. I'm sorry, that's not. I don't need that story. I don't need it coming at me. I don't need to. I don't need that level of Duke hype going into it. <laughs> One more championship. I don't. No, I, I don't need that much Disney. And then everybody's going to be convinced that the whole thing was rigged at that point. I don't need the conspiracy theorists. Right. I don't need any of it. Just just a good solid blowout loss that ends Duke <laughs> would be fine. We've been getting some really good storylines this season, though. Whether that's more paired in the women's tournament, a record tied through the weekend already of double-digit seeds advancing, and we've got the rest of those games happening right now and tonight, including UConn at 9 Eastern after the show is over. But we also have the storylines of longtime coaches like Coach K or um, you know Hubert Davis taking over at UNC or, or like these names that we know, and then first-time coaches. Banner year for coaches in their first season as head coaches at the programs that they're at, four of them will coach in the Sweet 16, Arizona, Texas Tech, UNC, LSU. Pretty cool. Um, I mean, ISU, uh, which, um, which, by the way, we should mention Iowa State going from two wins to the Sweet mm. 16. That is unbelievable. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're going to get to the NFL offseason. It's just not slowing down. We're having trouble keeping up. Matt Ryan to the Colts now, Marcus Mariota to the Falcons. We'll catch up on all of it next. This is Spain and Fitz. It's like for the last maybe four or five years, we have been practically begging for an offseason in the NFL where we see quarterbacks on the move. Massive shifts, completely rethought teams because of a change at the biggest position in the game. And we're finally here, and I can barely keep up. I'm also super confused about what the AFC has in the water right now because everybody is going there. It's going to get wild, and we're only probably a quarter, three quarters of the way there, probably a quarter left in terms of figuring out where all this shakes out. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. The latest domino to fall, Matt Ryan today getting traded to the Colts in exchange for a 2022 third-round draft pick. Matt Ryan, 14 seasons, the best quarterback in Falcons history, a former MVP who had them one unfortunate choke job away from winning a Super Bowl. And Fitz, this isn't that surprising considering what the Falcons did to Matt Ryan. And I guess because he wasn't public in his disgruntledness, disgruntlery, whatever, uh, (laughs) the way that Baker Mayfield was, uh, it came a little bit out of nowhere. But once we saw the Falcons openly flirting and, in fact, making Matt Ryan push back and delay uh, payments and and bonuses and stuff in order to facilitate the potential trade, I think we, we, we wondered if he might force his way out. Yeah, it's just the fact that he's forced his way out to the AFC that is, I think, the stunning part of it. And uh, our buddy Harry Douglas tweeted out earlier, the AFC starting quarterbacks, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Derek Carr, Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson, Trevor Lawrence, Patrick Mahomes, Matt Ryan, uh, Ryan Tannehill, Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson, like... The list is just staggering when you see the level of competition there's going to be in the AFC. And I think one thing that has to happen right now with the Matt Ryan conversation is we need to have a little bit of a mindset change. Because while I can acknowledge that Matt Ryan may not be who he was a few years ago, that doesn't mean that he's not still a very, very good quarterback. And that doesn't mean that he wasn't also still the best option available for the Colts. So they trade a third-round pick to give themselves a quarterback that's going to make them better right now. And all they gave up was a third-round pick. So they'll still have plenty of opportunity to address that position long-term if they feel they need to while they go through this process with Matt Ryan. So I think it's a home run for the Colts, frankly, and he's going to make them better day one than Carson Wentz would have made them at all going into this season. 
Yeah, I keep hammering this home, but you think the commanders are looking around and they were like, oh, we were a little early on all this. Like, <laughs> like they were like, I guess the only option is Carson Wentz. <laughs> like, whoops-a-daisy. Uh, yeah, and also the Colts. It wasn't long ago, beginning of this offseason, that we were all sort of talking about how the Colts had put themselves in the terrible position of being stuck with a guy in Carson Wentz that they weren't hot on, that hadn't proved down the stretch to be able to come up big in the games that they hoped, and that there wasn't any other option out there. And they were just kind of stuck. And then when he went to the commanders, we said, okay, good for the Colts to get rid of the guy that that wasn't a fit, but who are they going to get? And here they are in a much better position. Yeah, and and when you look at what they've managed to do – I think what we all have to look at is through the prism of competitiveness right now because I'm not sure teams at this point can afford to say, hey, we're going to go through a massive rebuild partially because so many of the quarterbacks that I listed earlier in talking are young. So even if you say you're going to rebuild, this isn't like the NFC where you're looking at Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady and saying, well, they're later in their careers. No, in the AFC, so many of these guys are young quarterbacks. So it's not like there's an easy answer that's going to make you better in the next three years. So now you've just got to focus on how can I compete and compete today? And adding somebody like Matt Ryan is going to give that opportunity. I think this also, though, presents a tremendous amount of pressure on Coach Frank Reich and the GM Chris Ballard because certainly this is supposed to be a very good roster top to bottom, and it's supposed to be a quarterback coach, right, a friendly coach for the for systems. So I'm looking at the Colts and saying, how many chances do you get to get it wrong at the quarterback position and not be good enough? So I think there's a ton of pressure now going on for the Colts going into this season. Harry Douglas, who you mentioned before, was on ESPN Radio earlier today talking about how Matt Ryan makes this Colts team good enough to compete. I'm excited for Matt on the side of being able to compete for a championship. When you look at the Colts roster, it is excellent from top to bottom. Now, on the flip side of it, uh, Atlanta fans, you have mixed emotions, right? A lot of people are sad. Some people are happy. People that are sad, they understand that you have a quarterback who threw for just under six. 60,000 yards. Back in 2008, I'll start with 2007, the organization was in shambles. And I say that because you had the Michael Vick situation going and the Bobby Petrino era. So they was in need of a reset. And 2008 was that year. And Matt Ryan basically came and saved that organization. Yeah, I mean, that's it, they're synonymous with each other. I, I mean, it is a remarkable thing to see Matt Ryan go and you know, if if you want to look at it one way, fits it could be a little bit of karma that you go seeking out in, in, a guy in Deshaun Watson. Um, you alienate the relationship you have with a guy who's been solid performer for your team for almost fifteen years, and then you you end up scrambling. So while the Colts get out better uh, because of this deal and having gotten rid of Carson Wentz, the Falcons end up with Marcus Mariota. Marcus Mariota's biggest problem all along has been staying healthy. But even with that being said, he's not a a dominant superstar quarterback. And then the Saints, who also tried to sell out and restructure a whole bunch of contracts, including their quarterbacks. Now, Taysom Hill's not really in a position to demand a trade out of there because everyone's hoping to to get his services. But they did the same thing, and they ended up settling for re-signing Jameis Winston, a two-year deal with a base value of $28 million. Uh, 21 of it guaranteed per Schefter. So those are two teams that kind of tried to get into the sweepstakes for Watson and found themselves having to settle afterwards when they didn't get him. Well, and be careful what you wish for, right? Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. You mentioned the Saints, and all I keep thinking about is how easy Saints fans thought it would be to simply replace Drew Brees. And, of course, you never think that your coach is going to walk away, and that creates some interesting dynamic 
uh, with Taysom Hill. But now you're basically sitting there stuck with Jameis Winston. There's no nice way to say it. And whatever money Jameis, as you mentioned, $28 million, 21 guaranteed, that's more than the Falcons are giving Mariota, which is proof positive already that the Falcons, their situation is even worse. So for anyone that's sitting here saying, oh, fine, get rid of Matt Ryan. I mean, the Falcons are taking a massive dead cap hit, and their their franchise is going to take a step mm-hmm. back. So I, I don't see any way. I think what happens for everybody is you eventually you get bored with your quarterback just being really good because your quarterback isn't the guy that's on the billboard for every NFL ad, and you think you've got to have something better. And what franchises learn when their big guys step away is that it's hard to replace them. And now mm-hmm. we're seeing everybody desperately try to do that and realize that there is no simple solution. So one man's trash is another man's treasure is the ultimate uh, sort of example of what we're living right now with the quarterback market in the NFL. Yeah, and I, I can't believe you brought it up. It took me this long to mention the largest dead cap hit in the history of the NFL for the Falcons. Um, wow. It is very clearly a rebuild now, but um, wow. It, it is remarkable how the quarterback situation has changed um, over the last month or two. And it hasn't been the people we expected in Brady and Rodgers. And it has been a couple guys um, that felt like uh, lifers in, in, for instance, Russell Wilson and, and Matt Ryan. Now we wait on a couple other that are left. And, you know, that's, that's the other thing. You mentioned that list of AFC quarterbacks. Matt Ryan now headed to the AFC. That means only three NFC starting quarterbacks have more touchdown passes with their current team than Tom Brady has in two seasons with the Buccaneers. Oh, my God. And the epic fail here is always going to be that the Falcons didn't address the quarterback position last year in a draft that had quarterbacks available when they picked. They could have gotten more from Matt Ryan. Now they get less. Mm -hmm. They give up more dead cap space, and they're stuck in a year where the quarterback class stinks. Yeah. Ooh, boy. The NFL just... It, it, it's always it's got gift. something for us. ESPN <laughs> Radio in Spain and Fitz were brought to you by My Computer Career Training for a Better Life. We were going to stick with uh, we're going to stick with the NFL. We're going to get you back to Tourney Talk too, though, as we got a lot of games uh, happening now and a lot of reactions still. But as the QB carousel reaches warp speed, we're going to bring in an expert to keep working through this with us. Jeff Darlington going to get us up to date on everything coming up next. Spain and Fitz. This is Spain and Fitz. Every single day, it's wild trying to figure out what's happening in the NFL. I love the offseason, and I'll take all of the drama. It's Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance, protecting your business with specialized coverages for your commercial vehicles. More at ProgressiveCommercial.com. We need to get a better sense of everything that's going on in the NFL because it's wild. So we'll get some thoughts from ESPN NFL reporter Jeff Darlington. Jeff, I'm trying to figure out who's good, who's great, like what the hierarchy looks like. Now that uh, we have Matt Ryan with the Colts, where does it put them on this hierarchy in the AFC? I mean, I feel like it definitely vaults them closer to the top. It's a team that feels like they're built to win now. But at the same time, the AFC is so stacked that like they're still going to have to battle, A, to get out of their division, B, to, to really make a run in the playoffs. Uh, it, so while I, I love this trade for the Colts, for Matt Ryan, who I believe still has uh, the goods to be an elite NFL quarterback, I just uh, I think that it makes it makes this arms race in the AFC that much tighter. The reaction, of course, on the Falcons side is you blew it, right? You flirted with someone else, and it came right. back to bite you. How much does Marcus Mariota make you feel a little better? 
<laughs> okay, not I mean, a lot. Not a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I, it can't make you feel better. This is yeah. very clearly a, a full rebuild in Atlanta. I, I, not to mention the fact that first you only get a third round pick in return for Matt Ryan, which feels like undervalued. I should have pulled the trigger on this trade last year and gotten more compensation than that. Second, you're left with more than $40 million in dead cap space as a result of Matt Ryan's departure. Like, I'm not going to go too deep in the weeds on salary cap ramifications, but that is the most in NFL history. And it just means that you've got all this money that's just unavailable to you to spend on the open market. So even if Marcus Mariota were to have some sort of renaissance, some sort of resurrection of his career, uh, I just don't know how... Like when Ryan Tannehill did that in Tennessee, he did it with an offense that was explosive. This is a guy who's going to have to go into an offense that is basically being broken down. So to me, Atlanta is starting over with or without Marcus Mariota, but they got to put somebody under center, so it might as well be him. We're talking to ESPN NFL reporter Jeff Darlington. I just keep thinking about like Kyle Pitts and how excited he was when he got drafted and a year later. It's like, eh. So, I mean, speaking of the draft – if this year's draft class was better at the quarterback position, would we be seeing all of these transactions Great for question. veteran quarterbacks? That's a really good question. But you know what the other funny part is? It's not like the free agency pool this year is good either. Um, all, all of the transactions we're seeing are largely trades. So, I mean, it's not like who, who's really at the top of the, of the free agent class. Right. Jameis Winston and, uh, and help me. There's one other name that was uh, – one other name that was decent and it still wasn't uh it wasn't even that good so i i just think that not only do you not have a great free agent class but you also don't necessarily have a a a draft class that's making scouts go crazy as a result you're seeing teams that are saying we're nothing without a good quarterback so whether out of desperation or just the fact that there's nothing else available in those other two facets uh they're pulling the trigger on what are obviously very, very important, significant trades in the NFL. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, talking to Jeff Darlington. You know, to Fitz's question, we're kind of ideating over here on exactly why this ended up being the offseason where we got the quarterback blow up that we've kind of been hoping or asking for in recent years and hasn't turned out. And we thought back to like even a month ago, if we said, here are all the quarterbacks, this is the number of quarterbacks who will be playing in a different market and none of them will be Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers. Like that's right. It, yeah, it, those no. two guys are exactly where they left off, and everybody else moved. Now, a lot of that is the Deshaun Watson domino that has affected a number of them. But do you have any other hypothesis as to why this is the year well, that this happened? Kind of, you know. I don't even know if Deshaun Watson is is that big of a uh, a part of it because Houston doesn't have like a new quarterback, and Baker is still in Cleveland. So, right. like, even that doesn't But eventually feel, Baker it, will be it, gone, right? And then Matt Ryan no, left sure. because and of Deshaun. Another, and then... Another domino. Yeah. And by the way, I thought I thought the other quarterback because it was killing me. I don't know if you could tell in my yeah, brain. Yeah, it was trying me. It was Mitch Trubisky. Oh, yeah. the other free agent yeah, yeah, quarterback yeah. who... Decent. I mean, that's, that's, that's your free agent class this year. So, to your point, if, if a month ago we thought that the two dominoes that would create the biggest... Uh, change was going to be Tom Brady's retirement and Aaron Rodgers leaving Green Bay. So the, the QB carousel that has resulted wasn't even at, because of those two things. So, I, I mean, it's wild. Uh, 
to me, I was trying to think about it. I hate being a victim of the moment, but I do think that I can't remember an offseason where there was so much significant shakeup mm-hmm. at the quarterback position like this year. Yeah, neither can I. And by the way, Sarah, uh, word of the day, ideating. Uh, I'm, I'm learning something every day. Yeah, well, that, yeah, I, I, just, I just tried to fly right past that. I have no <laughs> idea what that means. I wrote it down. Who Literally needs a word no of the idea. day calendar when you work with Sarah? Come on, ideating. Brainstorming. What does that mean? Brainstorming to imagine or conceive. Or think, well, then, you know. then why didn't you just say brainstorming? I like cool words. That, that is true. <laughs> she said ideating because she can. Yeah. All right, that's a, that's a real answer to this. Uh, you mentioned, and we've, we've now heard the name a couple of times here, Baker Mayfield. Uh, So two-part, where does he end up in your mind, and what's his future really look like? You know what's funny? You know where I think he would have ended up if Sean Payton was still the coach of the Saints? I kind of just gave the answer, but New Orleans. Like I I could have seen that being the match because Sean loved Baker coming out. Um, And it's so funny how something like that can even be what shakes up a quarterback carousel. Uh, So I don't know. Look, Seattle still needs a quarterback. Carolina still feels like they need a Like, there's still dominoes that are yet to fall. Do, do we see Baker or Jimmy with either of those teams? I don't know. Baker, to me, it's obviously a downgrade from Russell Wilson, even though they feel a little similar, I guess. I mean, that's a probably would make someone like Mina Kimes really upset to hear me say that. But – but I don't know. I I, uh, I don't know where Baker get, comes up, but it does feel like musical chairs. And it does feel like as a result of, for instance, Tom Brady staying in Tampa, it's going to leave someone without a seat. Yeah. And it's either going to be Jimmy G or it's going to be Baker Mayfield. Well, and you can't imagine Jimmy G going to the Seahawks, even if that would be no, something right. that would make sense. So what does that mean? If we just did process of elimination – does Garoppolo go to Carolina and Baker goes to Seattle? Ooh. Are those the two? And are the, Car- Texans, are, are the Texans set? Are the, the te- that's a great question, too. <laughs> right? I mean. Are, is... are, any, are, are the Falcons set? Do the Falcons mm-hmm. feel like Marcus Mariota is the answer? Or do they just feel like today they were like, well, we have to fill that spot. So let's do it in the form of a. You know, is Ryan Fitzpatrick still out there? He's got to be somewhere, right? He's still out there, too. That's <laughs> I mean, funny you say that. I so, asked someone that the other week. I was like, didn't Ryan, did Ryan Fitzpatrick retire? No. Said, no, no, he's still, he's still an active quarterback. When the dust yeah. settles from all of these quarterback changes, are Kansas City and Buffalo still the two best teams in the AFC, do you? Uh, to me, yeah. Kansas City especially. You throw Juju in the mix there. I love that. I... um. I still think Kansas City is, and we know that Buffalo is not to be messed with either. So, yeah, I guess so. It's, I mean, do we do we put Cincinnati in that mix yet? God, we should have done this there? whole segment high. I mean, this is, <laughs> I feel like we're all like, whoa, but wait, what about this? Wait, you guys, oh, I'm sorry. You guys aren't? You guys thought, aren't high? No. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my bad. We should start this over. Totally. <laughs> I guess it's the old like price of proximity, right? Like there's so many AFC teams right now that are really good. I, I think 
we're splitting hairs to try and figure out which ones are Super Bowl contenders and which ones are just trying to battle for the playoffs. Like they're just, I don't feel well, this huge difference. You can't. You no one, it, no one in their right mind would have said Cincinnati was the team. Like they, yeah. they were going to be in the. Yeah. You know, no one was going to say we that. We were like eight or nine teams midseason last year that we were like, okay, I would not be shocked if any of these eight teams won the Super Bowl, and one of them wasn't right. Cincinnati. And the <laughs> NFC feels like we could just go ahead and play the. NFC Championship right now. Yeah. So the real answer from all of this is that the NFC is a cakewalk and that the Raiders still have some Super Bowl hope. That's all I'm saying, oh Jeff. I, I, I always, right. It always comes back. We they, know that. Jeff, appreciate you. And the Bears are this year's Bengals. Got it. Okay, oh, Justin okay. Fields. But <laughs> add the one, carry the three. Perfect. <laughs> See I'm Rain Man in the See you in Arizona. <laughs> Oh, Jeff, we pre- thanks for telling us that both of our teams are headed to the Super Bowl on record. We're just going to keep it that way. Uh, now, we appreciate no, you hanging I'll, out with us. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Always love pinning Jeff Darlington in on early Super Bowl predictions. All right. <laughs> speaking of quarterbacks, the Browns moved heaven and earth to get to Sean Watson. Not sure they spent a whole lot of effort on their ensuing statement, though. We'll talk about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. Quick update on some scores. Three-seeded Michigan beating 11-seeded Villanova in the women's tournament right now. They're up by 15. That's a pretty uh, pretty good margin there, but that speaks nothing compared to what Notre Dame is doing to Oklahoma right now, Ooh, which is On their savage. home court. I mean, 98-55, to 55. and for once in my life, that's not a misspeak. That is just absolute. <laughs> you read it right. I mean, that you. is just awful. And in the battle, of, uh, the battle of Tennessee, Belmont and Tennessee taking each other on. The Lady Vols up 33-23 there. So uh, plenty of action going on. Make sure you keep your eyes out on that. And you can always you know, just mute it on ESPN, ESPN2, and ESPNU while you continue to listen to Spain yeah. and Fitz. Mm-hmm. Speaking of muting, Sarah. Maybe uh, muting the Browns would be easier than trying to deal with the statements that they mm-hmm. make. But we all know that the Cleveland Browns signed Deshaun or traded for, I should say, Deshaun Watson and then turned around and gave him a massive contract, something that we've talked about a lot over the last couple of days. The dirtiest part of which is that it only includes a million dollars in the first year. So if and when he is suspended by the NFL, it can't cost him that much money. He gets the rest of his two hundred and thirty million dollars in future years. So all of it feels at best dirty but it didn't feel any better after the browns released their statement this is part of their statement where they say quote we are acutely aware and empathetic to the highly personal sentiments expressed about this decision our team's comprehensive evaluation process was of utmost importance due to the sensitive nature of his situation and the complex factors involved we also understand there are still some legal proceedings that are ongoing and we will respect due process. It should be noted this statement was not just signed by Jimmy Haslam. It was signed by he and his wife, Jimmy and D. Haslam. So they did everything they could in their statement to say a little without saying anything. Yeah. Um, you know what? I, I kept saying on Friday, and it's become a, a little mantra for me as I navigate a business that is uh, constantly serving up um, a lot of BS and a lot of frustrating uh, uh, optic defying uh, decisions, and that is never surprised, always disappointed, or never shocked, always disappointed. Um, I'm not surprised that the Browns released a statement that hit all the PR points of the expected challenges that would come from fans and journalists. Um, I'm also not surprised that they decided to move forward with Deshaun Watson and that his talent was enough that instead of being punished for the looming 22 accusations, there was a bidding war for his services. And 
Those teams that were interested tried to sweeten the pot as much as possible, which is how you end up with the largest guaranteed contract in history. And to your point, a contract that tells you if you are finally in any way held accountable by people who believe that you are guilty, we will soften the blow as much as we can for you by making your contract 1.035 in the first year so that the very most that you'll have to give up is $57,000 per game you're suspended. Don't worry. You'll still have $230 million guaranteed. It's so gross. And again, not shocked, just disappointed that this is how we end up handling this. And what you end up with when people ask me, well, what did you want? Him never to work again and to be guilty without being proven? No. But unfortunately, Fitz, what happens is we're expected to just sort of acquiesce once the decision is made to not be forceful with our questioning, to not demand transparency and accountability from both the team and the player, and to move past after a completely flimsy statement and press conference, which is what I'm sure we're going to get. You remember this with, um, I mean, countless cases, Jameis Winston, Araldus Chapman, um, Chauncey Billups, like every instance, the follow-up is what made you feel confident, then a bunch of just you know BS, and then follow-ups to the athletes, some of which included Araldus Chapman saying he fell asleep and didn't even remember what Theo Epstein told him about the behaviors that he would require to prove that he had you know figured things out. It just happens over and over again. And so it's fine. Great. The Cleveland can make that statement all they want, but we know for a fact they're lying when they say comprehensive because Tony Busby has said that not a single team in the league has, has called him and wanted to speak to him or any of the alleged victims. And that's the biggest part of this Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, that I think needs to be continually talked about. They can say in a statement that they talked to Deshaun. And they can say in a statement that they did a thorough investigation. But the immediate follow-up question is going to be, how thorough can it be if you didn't talk to anyone that was that, that's part of the accusers here? And in my mind, when people say, what do you want? I guess at some level, I want the same thing that would happen to any of us in this situation. How many people right now, if they were applying for a job somewhere and it was, hey, by the way, I've got 22 civil suits that I'm facing right now. Most companies in that situation would step back and wait to see how that process plays out. That's just real. And at some point, what I would want from the Cleveland Browns, if I were a Browns fan, was for them to either wait for the process to play out or for them to have collected information from everybody involved in the process in a way that they can stand in front of a microphone. I know that there's legal action going on right now, but say, hey, we've talked to the people involved with this and we're comfortable with this situation. Instead, what they've done is said, well, we talked to Deshaun, which leaves them the out of being able to say if and when we get more information, if it's uncomfortable, they can say, well, that's not what Deshaun told us from the outset. And the dirtiest part of the contract is that you're sitting across from a player saying, okay, how are we on this? How do you feel about this? What really happened? You're only getting his side. And then that player and his representative are saying, hey, by the way, love this new contract offer. We just need to protect our money when the league suspends us. Mm -hmm. Like, how can you do that and not feel gross in the the process? They're directly in conflict by saying we empathize with the people who will be you know, emotionally and otherwise affected by this decision-making, and yet we will simultaneously craft a contract that allows for the very least accountability possible for this person in the case of somebody actually punishing him. It, 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 it's really hard fits. It, it, it's really hard to, to swallow. And, it, and, and again, it's, it's, it's that they don't actually care, and that is very clear by the timing, because to your point, if they cared – they would wait till it played out, and they would say, we don't feel comfortable making this move, and certainly not 
making him the face of our franchise and sinking $230 million guaranteed into him if we're not certain about who he is and what could happen in the future. And that's another element I don't think enough people are talking about. If these allegations are true, then he is a serial predator. And you can scoff at that language, understanding that some of the accusations are harassment and not full-on assault. Only a couple go beyond harassment. But if your kink is to make women uncomfortable, is to go into places and to continue to victimize as many women as you can in this way, you're not going to stop just because you got caught. That's not historically how it works. So what protections do you have in place if this behavior continues? Again, if you really cared, you would speak to the women or their lawyer. You wouldn't simply do the bare minimum so that you could put out a statement and say you investigated and you feel good about it. You care about whether he's going to help you win football games. And also you cynically know that most of our society, as soon as you start throwing touchdowns, is going to shrug a little bit and forget, just like a lot of people did with Ben Roethlisberger. The wild part to me is I think if the Browns had traded for Deshaun Watson and that was it, just, hey, they traded for him and then they came out and said, hey, we're going to let this process play out. He's going to sit on our roster and when we have all the information – it would still be tough for me to stomach in general, but I'd look at it and say, okay, that was a weirdly aggressive move for a quarterback that you don't know enough about. To reward him with the contract is the portion of it that I think makes this the ultimate, you put all your chips in. And now, whatever information does come out, not only does Deshaun Watson have to be accountable, but so do the Cleveland Browns. Because the minute the, the Cleveland Browns said they were comfortable doing business with them, that meant they're comfortable doing business with whatever information comes out from today moving forward mm-hmm. and information that, frankly, they have the means to get. Remember, and I always say this, like teams hire personal investigators to look into every ounce of a draft prospect's life. If you'll do that to somebody you're thinking about drafting, why would you not at least reach out to people that are alleging 22 different counts of sexual misconduct to Deshaun Watson? That's the part I can't wrap my head around. Yeah, again, because in the end, it's not about feeling good or even being able to face your staff and employees, particularly the female ones, and say, we know for sure who this guy is. It's we have ourselves convinced by talking to him and his closest associates, friends and family, that we know who he is. All right. We're going to get you back to the hoops in just a few minutes. But next up, we'll go to Indy, bring in an expert to figure out what's going on with the Colts. Did they get good enough? We'll find out. Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz. Sometimes the best thing about a streaming show isn't the actual episode. It's the last five minutes of the episode where something wild and dramatic happens that forces you to come back mm-hmm. and watch again. That's what the NFL offseason is doing because every time you think the water is, is calmed, the dust is settled, something insane happens that stirs everything back up. And today's biggest example of that is the acquisition of Matt Ryan by the Indianapolis Colts. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And Sarah, let's get some insight from ESPN Colts reporter Mike Wells joining us right now. Uh, Mike, first and foremost, how did all of this go down from the Indianapolis side? Well, I mean, basically they've, they've been on a hunt for a quarterback since late in the season last year. It was clear that Carson Wentz was not going to be back. And then, obviously, uh, when they traded him to the Washington Commanders last week, um, the dominoes have fallen. I think the best thing that happened was that Deshaun Watson decided not to go to the Falcons and um, and go to go to Cleveland because who knows where how things would have panned out there. But when you think about um, Matt Ryan, you know, pushing back and the Falcons pushing back the bonus to the seven point five million he was supposed to make, that that lined up perfectly because you kept hearing things about Baker Mayfield when he comes to the Colts. 
listen, they dealt with a quarterback last year who who didn't always get along with his teammates inside the locker room. They weren't going to bring in Baker Mayfield. That was not going to happen. What Matt Ryan is, is he's basically another stop bridge quarterback, a veteran quarterback who's been in the league for a number of years. He's obviously on the tail end of his career, not in his prime. What they're hoping is there will be enough pieces around Matt Ryan to be a competitive team and try to push the Tennessee Titans uh, in the AFC South by trading for uh, Matt Ryan. Okay, am I crazy or did the Wentz to Commanders thing happen more than a week ago? <laughs> I just want to make it, it, sure. It, that that listen, Sarah, there's, so, there's been so, so, so many movements going on in the NFL, it's kind of hard to keep track. This has been a crazy Pass a my week brain or so just in the league. My brain just exploded thinking about that <laughs> last week. Okay, so let's talk about Matt Ryan. I've seen a lot of differing opinions. There are some who say clearly not at his peak of his MVP powers, but still an incredibly good quarterback that's a major upgrade for them. I've also seen people say he's past his prime and not much. In fact, I think you called him another Band-Aid at quarterback. Is that just in the context of the Colts and that big splash we keep expecting at the position, or do you think he's a Band-Aid anywhere? No, I think he's more. I think it's because of how the Colts have handled this, this quarterback uh, situation since Andrew Luck retired in August of 29. Meaning, band aid that they're just he's just in. He's covering up the wound at the position until the Colts can find a long term answer, which will obviously heal, and they won't need that band aid. From a production standpoint, he'll be fine. He's not going to blow anybody away. Uh, the best thing that he has, he's got Jonathan Taylor at running back. The Colts better find him a left tackle to protect his blind side and get some wide receivers for him to throw the football to. But it's just one of the same thing that happened two years ago when they got Phillip, when they brought Phillip Rivers in to come in and be a short-term answer. Matt Ryan's going to be in the contract for two more years. I'd be shocked if he, pay, if he played past that. So he's coming in from the Band-Aid standpoint. All right, we got, he's got to hold that, that quarterback spot now until the Colts figure it out. I mean, the worst thing that happened was that uh, Andrew Luck retired almost three years ago. Since then, to put it, to put it bluntly, um, the Colts have been screwed at the, uh, at the QB position. So at some point, there usually when you get it wrong at the quarterback position, even if you were put behind the eight ball with that retirement, there's some level of pressure, it feels like, for the GM and the coach. That hasn't necessarily been, at least nationally, the perspective around Ballard and Reich. Is there pressure in, in and around Indianapolis for these guys to get this one right? Well, I mean, they have they have to get it right at some point. I mean, listen, they 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 arrived back from Jacksonville, and Jim Mercer, the owner, has them go right to the facility, and wondering like, what the hell happened? How how do we not make the playoffs at the end of the season? And then you know, Carson's not the answer long term. They have to get this this quarterback situation right. Um, obviously, you know, Matt Ryan's not the long term answer, so there won't be pressure from that standpoint. But the the reality is, they truly truly dropped the ball giving up that first-round pick for Carson Wentz, thinking that Carson Wentz could be that guy. You don't give up a, a, a pick that turns into a first-rounder for one year, basically coming in for one year. That doesn't happen. That's not supposed to happen. If you're giving up a first-round pick, you think that guy's going to be the answer for years to come. Clearly, that's not the case. So I'm not saying there's pressure on those guys, but at some point when you have an owner saying he wants to win multiple Super Bowls this decade – and you got all those talented QBs in the AFC right now. They're gonna have to. They're gonna have to get this roster fixed at some point because Jim. Mer- we I think we can all agree. Jim Mercer has no problem speaking up on what he wants. And when he says, "Hey, we're gonna put the chips in," and he wants to win multiple Super Bowls, they got to get to the playoffs first. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, talking to Mike Wells, ESPN Colts reporter. 
Let's talk about the weapons. What are the pieces that we still need to put around to make things better for Matt Ryan now that he's there? Uh, hey, Fitz, can you play wide receiver? You got any speed? <laughs> Dude, no. Have no, you seen Fitz no. run? I'm more I'm of a, a possession I'm guy. I'm going to send Mike. you a video of Fitz running. He looks like – what did someone <laughs> describe it as? He looked like he was uh, the Flintstones when they're trying to, like, run a car. Yeah, with their yeah, feet. Oh pretty, my yeah. god! I'm gonna send that it to you. Yeah. There, there were there are 600 pound men that can run faster than me, Mike. So, <laughs> but I'm more of a possession guy, like oh, really? shifty in the middle, like, like maybe like get myself possession no. of cannabis. And yeah, yeah that, that, now that probably <laughs> that's gonna oh, get me in the locker goodness. room. I'll help everybody feel good after the game, Mike. That's my yes. only shot. <laughs> no, I, I, they, they need wide receivers. Um, they had uh, they had Michael Pittman Jr., T. Y. Hilton is a free agent. Zach Pascal just signed with the Philadelphia Eagles today. They need a new starting tight end because Zach Doyle retired. They need, a, again, a left tackle because Eric Fisher won't be back. And Matt Ryan was checked, if I'm not mistaken, 40 times last season. So they have a quarterback. Now they got to have pieces to build around them because if not, it's going to be a struggle for them again. It'll be another a long season them trying to get there. And guess what? They get to face AFC West. They get to face Fitz's Las Vegas Raiders next season. So um, they're, they're going to have their hands full because they got the AFC West. They've also got to go on the road to play the New England Patriots. It's not going to be an easy uh, season for the Colts, especially if, if they can't add more pieces around Phillip Rivers and Jonathan Taylor and Darius Leonard. Are they a playoff team right now in your mind? Come on, Fence. How you put how you putting me out of the spot like that right now, man? <laughs> I mean, I'm going to answer your question. I'm going to say the question right now is, based off the roster at this day at, what, 5, I mean, excuse me, 8, 10 p.m., I'm going to say no. Wow. I mean, we were just talking about this. We looked at this list of quarterbacks in the AFC that Field Yates put out, and the list is endless talent, and realized that nine of those players will not be in the postseason, which is – I mean, think about the day. The AFC West might might have a team that – that have the first round by and then three teams to get the wild card spot. Yeah. They're that deep in the AFC West. Mm. They're going to beat I mean, up on each other, though, which is going to be tough. Uh, the, no, 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 no. Iron sharpens iron, y'all. Iron oh, sharpens right, right. iron. Oh, come, the- oh fit, hey, fit, Fitz, listen, man, I know you've been on cloud nine since Devontae Adams <laughs> came on board and got Chandler Jones to go with Derek Carr and Josh McDaniels. But let, let's leave the coach lingo alone, man. I, I mean, I'm already visualizing a 600-pound guy beating you uh, on the outside for a pass. Yeah, but you know what? I might get I might get run over and I might get run around, but nobody will talk more smack on the field than me. That's my that's really my gift to that. Uh, that you is guys, a, that uh, is a uh, recipe for disaster. The least athletic with the biggest amount. That's a recipe for getting your butt beat. My God, that's what you they're going to run away. Tombstone. You will the not be athletic. able to run away. That is that is my tombstone, Mike. Appreciate the insight. Uh, always uh, appreciate you hanging out with us. And you know, I hope I hope. The, the, the Colts make the playoffs because that would make me very happy for you uh, as long as the Raiders are still in. That's it. Oh, my God. Hey, listen, I can't wait to watch. I can't wait to see the Raiders next season. Yeah, I mean, I know I feel sorry for you, Sarah, because if the Raiders are winning and as good as people can think, I, I don't know how you're going to be able to handle Fitz, you know, listen, five, day, I mean, five days listen, a week. Listen, the, the Bears are next year's Bengals, uh, so I'll be fine because my yeah, Raiders, team will Bears be Super Bowl. obviously. That's what we're, yeah, duh. We're, we're in on that. Hey, I'll tell you, I, I will tell you this. Don't sleep on Matt Eberflus, man. He's he, he, very quiet guy. Yeah. But uh, the, the way he goes about things and the fact that he does not want to call plays on defense because he wants to be a true head coach. I'm, I'm intrigued on what Flus is going to do up there um, it, with, with your Bears. Very hopeful.
Look at that. See, Mike, a beacon of light in a dark, dark world. My friend, we appreciate <laughs> you hanging out with us. Thanks for coming on. All right, y'all be good now. Be sure to check Mike out. He's going to be on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max in the morning, tomorrow morning in the 6 a.m. Eastern hour. Don't want to miss that, as he always does great work. In the meantime, this has been the wildest offseason in NFL history. The question is, why? We'll figure it out. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz. To think that I'm the farthest thing from a cynic, but I'm definitely a realist. There's no doubt about that. And I went into this offseason with a very real expectation that we were overblowing yet again the mass chaos that was supposed to be happening all across the NFL. Because it feels like every single year we're sitting here saying things are going to look wildly different. It's going to be changed like we've never seen before. It will change the future of the league. And it never happens. But this year, just when I said definitively it wouldn't happen, it absolutely has. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. And let's get to some Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. We have seen change at the most important position in sports at a level that we've never seen before that has impacted franchises all across the NFL that's changed the power dynamic completely of the AFC. And Sarah, I keep looking at it saying just when I thought, you know what? It's just going to be another year of us overhyping it. This has been finally the year where everything is different. The question that I don't know the answer to is why? Yeah, and you know, we we mentioned this with Jeff Darlington, like what is the difference? And first my brain went like really big picture, like things that aren't even in the control of the sports world like COVID, like um the idea of getting antsy or wanting a change or feeling like that drastic decision that you never thought you'd make now doesn't feel so out of reach because that's been the case for so many people in other jobs, right? Like just quit my job, move to a different country, try a completely new career or feel completely uncomfortable and unwilling to do the things that I've accepted for my entire life because everything feels different now. Is that some, you know, somewhere kind of percolating within the brains of any of these folks, like maybe Russell Wilson, who otherwise might've just stuck it out and stayed there? Or am I thinking too big picture? Is it or is it results of COVID that affects, you know, money and salary cap and other things in a way that slowly manifested to create the atmosphere and the climate that allowed for this? Um, Because, you know, we talked to Darlington and I attribute the Deshaun Watson movements from teams to be a little bit of the domino for why Baker decided I need to ask out because he didn't like the way that they were handling it. And for why Matt Ryan eventually asked out of the Falcons. So that's three all affecting each other, I think probably the Saints would have ended up with Jameis anyway. That's three right there. And then you look at some of the ancillary pieces that are moving, and maybe without the big ones, we wouldn't think of this year as quite so dramatic. Um, but 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 we've ended up with so many of them, probably from about the 12th best quarterback in the league on to like 12th and then uh, a bunch of guys rating between maybe 14th to 20th best moving well, around. I- I feel like what we see now are so many teams that look drastically different, but there's also every year there's been some sort of a a wall that you can say, well, this guy won't get moved because, and Mm -hmm. you can insert whatever here, you know, how many times have we said there's no way a team is going to move on from Matt Ryan because of the dead cap hit. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and now it's like, nope, we'll make that work. And you can look at it and say, well, 
nobody can acquire Deshaun Watson because uh, the money is going to be an issue. And you watch the Saints go from being 80 over the cap to 30 under the cap in like four seconds. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know what's caused the creativity or if the league has simply become, to use a phrase my mom used to always say when I was growing up, like robbing Peter to pay Paul. Like, are, are, is everyone just simply moving their contract debt into the future and saying we have to go in right now? Because that seems a, like what the Rams good, did. That, I was going to say – that's a good thought. This could be the copycatting of looking at the Rams and saying the Rams are in the now, forsaking the future. They would rather take proven pieces now at the expense of what could be in the form of draft picks, and it worked for them. It worked for them in a way that other teams might have said, okay, we'll take a shot, we'll take a chance. Um, and it, And to your point and what we talked about earlier in the show, the number of talented quarterbacks in the AFC – the difficulty in escaping some of those some of those divisions, even if you feel great about your quarterback and your team, means that everybody's got to put their foot in the gas to the point where Aaron Rodgers' contract is already antiquated. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, think about it. Golly, you're right. And you know, I, I'm left to think that part of this is because the quarterback class this year isn't particularly That's good. A lot of it. It's yeah. it, you know so if you are a team like the Broncos and you think man we've got this great roster and you know we'll just we'll be aggressive and we'll go for something in the draft that will help us. Well, th- there's nothing in this year's draft that you feel good about and you can't wait till next year. So you know the the number of teams like I would argue that Atlanta is probably going to look at it now and say okay we can get ourselves a situation where next year we address the quarterback and we just go through the rebuild, but. There are so many teams right now that are sitting on the cusp of competitiveness that maybe it starts to feel like you can't really afford to dial things back and go into rebuild mode. Like the Colts today prove themselves to be wildly aggressive and getting at least the best option they can possibly get because they're not going to sit there and do nothing at the quarterback position. Not not even wildly aggressive. It's for a third-round pick. uh, That's fair. That's fair. Actually, that speaks to the fact that there's just movement happening. Like – I guess as I as we think through it, like that maybe it was wildly aggressive by the Falcons to take that level of dead cap hit and only get a third round pick in, in return. Like none of it makes none of it makes sense. Every argument that we've always said for this can't happen this year is thrown out the window. Yeah, uh, I agree with you, but also it's going to be impossible to do this because sports moves at such an incredible pace that it is so hard for us to look back and remember when. But if we remember this conversation a couple of years from now, seeing how this all spins out because so many teams are all in right now. And to your point, yeah, you can get creative with the cap. You can find ways to manipulate contracts. But at some point, you do have to pay up. It does come to, you know, the chickens come to roost or whatever adage you want to use. And so how many teams will be in a reasonable position if their push right now doesn't pan out? And how many will be able to be creative enough to fill in and, and and make do with limited cap space or a bunch of, you know, contracts that no longer look good because people have aged out of being, you know, useful, all of that stuff. That's, I mean, that's another thing that this big push right now is going to leave a whole lot of teams a couple of years from now. It could be in a mess. Well, and to that end, you know, you've talked before about the the Rams and how, It'll be a long time before we know what what the actual end of this looks like for them. They're, they've given up so much draft equity, we can't know for a few years. So 
what everybody's looking at is, well, the strategy got them a Super Bowl. So let's do this strategy without at all seeing what the other side of this risk analysis is. So, mm-hmm. like, that's a really weird portion of this, that if if the Rams essentially build a house of cards that gets them to, you know, Super Bowls, then it's all worth it. But if they then fall apart and things are awful for a generation, will teams view it differently? And right now, they don't have the benefit of that time to know. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, we we haven't mentioned, by the way, Matthew Stafford getting that deal that ends up being both good for him at forty million a year, maybe less than he could have gone out and gotten, but a good deal for the Rams as well as he looks to continue success. So, um, man, it's wild. We've been we've been talking about the potential for an off season like this with all this quarterback movement, and it's finally here. And it's wild how it's all ending up yeah, shading some... toward the AFC. Oh, don't remind me. That's some straight talk. Straight talk, wireless, no contract, no compromise. And my God, you are so right about the quarterback contracts. Like, let's just admit now, a pretty good quarterback is going to cost your team $35 million a year. Like, that's <laughs> that's like the new, oh, yeah, no, they're, they're good enough to get paid. That's going to be a $35 million a year contract. And that's that's crazy to think. That's why it's it's going to be interesting to keep an eye on the draft, and not just this year, but the next few years, because quarterback contracts are going to be either everything or nothing. There will be no in-between anymore. All right, let's get to some busted bracket talk. We'll do it next with Monica McNutt on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, hanging out with you on a Monday while we're keeping an eye on these basketball games. Belmont, Tennessee, very close with about 8.50 to play. In the fourth, the women's tournament uh, continuing tonight to figure out the second half of the Sweet 16. And there have already been a tied with a record number of double-digit seeds advancing. Uh, the parody in the women's game uh, continues, and we're going to get to that a little bit later in the show. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Um, Monica McNutt is going to join us now, our ESPN basketball analyst, brought to you by Wendy's Breakfast, the official breakfast of March Madness. Monica, you have been everywhere, and you've done a fantastic (laughs) job of sort of recapping so many of the things we've seen. Before we get to some of what's going on now, I just want to ask, you and I both were not super hot on Iowa in terms of depth. We thought maybe Caitlin Mm -hmm. Clark goes off, they'll be all right, but I wasn't all that shocked by Creighton, except for maybe the fact that they held her, I think it was 0 of 8 in the second half. What did you see in terms of defense to shut down someone that we know can shoot from the second she walks into the gym? The facts. Um, Crane did a great job of just being physical with her, Spain, and the depth of Iowa, or the lack thereof, came back to haunt them. She was, like, visibly frustrated in the first quarter, and that's what happens when you are a candidate for the National Player of the Year. All of the attention comes to you. But in terms of having release valves, Creighton just really executed their game plan perfectly. Monica Sonano, the big inside, did finish that ball game with 27. But outside of those two, you didn't get much. And so the defense of Creighton really wasn't stretched. But I think another key to that game was Creighton was not rushed, and they dominated on the glass. So they would miss a shot and tip it back to themselves and then use the duration of the shot clock. So they really wore Iowa down on that end. So. Really good game. Um, you and I were not surprised. I, I didn't flat out call that upset, but I kept saying, y'all talking about Kaitlyn Clark versus South Carolina, like they got a couple mm-hmm. of games to get through before that could proverbially happen. So, Y'all are like no surprise to anybody. Everybody knows this. You're much smarter than I am because I, I, I just was surprised. I'm saying uh, I'm just used to her being able to shoot her way out of any situation. So, Monica, when you look at the like, what was the most surprising upset then for you for so far in this bracket? Um, it was definitely Baylor in South Dakota. Like, I, 
last week we're prepping for this shows and our friends over on our gambling bird we were looking at futures odds and you could get Baylor at sixteen fifty for the national title and NC State at six fifty. And I thought like to make some money, like Baylor was a good take. Like they've gotten Alyssa Smith, another player of the year candidate. Jordan Lewis has been strong for them. I thought Queen Egbo is a big deal for them. They come out of the Big Twelve. Typically they're a very tough defensive minded team and they've got great athletes. South Dakota State, or not South Dakota State, excuse me, South Dakota neutralized all of that just with quality team basketball. And really, they punched first, and Baylor never got up off the mat. Yeah, I mean, that to me was the biggest uh, in terms of the just the, the record that Baylor had of 12 straight Sweet 16s and how they were able to hold serve on their home court for so long against non-conference opponents. That one blew me away. Uh, speaking of home court, Please tell me what Notre Dame just did to Oklahoma. I mean, this Ooh, was a goodness. 5-4. <laughs> a 5-4. And the final score was 108-64 to in Oklahoma. Oh, my gosh, Spain. That one, now listen, I tell you this. Put it on your, your bingo card or whatever you use to watch future stars in the WNBA and the women's game and the WNBA. Olivia Miles and their opening round game was the first freshman to have a triple-double on either side of the bracket. I don't have the box score in front of me in terms of what she did tonight, but uh, that Oklahoma, or excuse me, Notre Dame squad is coming with the fire. They're honestly, to me, they're arriving a little bit ahead of schedule, not that much, but just slightly ahead of schedule. In the first quarter of that ball game, it was uh, the run was 17-0, so I'm terrible at math. Anyway, they went on a 17-0 run to make the score 22 to nine. And literally, like, the, the, the game never was close after that. And so that run largely was fueled by Oklahoma's turnovers. Like, at halftime, Notre Dame was crushing in the points of turnovers category. And, again, you talk about teams that are getting stopped and just never have the capacity to get up off the mat. Um, Notre Dame plays fast. And if you don't keep up with them on both sides of the basketball, like, it's bad news bears. And so they rushed Oklahoma in their offensive set, forced them into turnovers. And they just kept running away, running, literally running away with that thing. <laughs> Monica, we've talked a little bit about the amount of chaos this year in the women's bracket. I mean, on both sides, but for the women's bracket particularly, there's been a bunch of chaos. Why, in your mind, has there been more chaos this year than usual? The game is growing, Fitz. And I think the record for upsets, not double digit, but just upsets, was 13 in 2018. We had our terrific uh, researchers look that up yesterday. Jen LaCroix and Carter Roche have been amazing with us. But I just think in general the game is growing. And as prominent as some of the mainstays in women's college basketball, the names are UConn, Tennessee, Baylor, Stanford, um, NC State is entering into that category. As prominent as some of those names are, I think girls and women want to go play and make a name for themselves. I think the NIL helps to change the complexion of it all. And I just think the competitive balance. Um, And then you throw in the transfer portal situation, like – Girls want to go, one, play with their friends and play in places that they really enjoy. And it may not be the traditional names. And that, to me, is great for the game. I agree. Monica McNutt is with us here on Spain and Fitz talking about March Madness. Uh, Let's talk South Carolina. Overall number one seed. Um, They have allowed a total of 55 points through two games. That defense is absolutely absurd. Have you seen as much from them as you would like through the first two games? Could there even be another level that we haven't reached yet? No, Spain, and honestly, they're making me nervous because, yeah, 55 points, I don't even remember who they played, but the first game was a 16 seed, and the second game, oh, Miami, was a little bit... Yeah, Howard, Howard and Miami, yeah. Right, okay, 
offensively, they've been abysmal. Like, yeah. I'm very much concerned. Like, if you have a convers, if you are just having a conversation about the number one seeds that are still alive, I think they run into Louisville, which is maybe their blessing if they get to a Final Four because Louisville is prone to have droughts as well. But NC State and Stanford are rolling offensively. And so if, if your bar at South Carolina is the other one seed, I'm concerned because NC State and Stanford also can defend. And they've got depth. And they've got three-point shooting. And I'm just – I have honestly been mind-blown by how stagnant – I used the word constipated. I don't know if I was supposed to say that on the radio. Yeah, yeah, Their yeah. offense has yeah, looked. yeah, yeah. <laughs> For sure. No, We've said a lot we'll, worse tonight, Monica. Yeah, there's no okay, doubt. There's, there's I can't stop of... talking about the St. Peter's Peacocks. Yeah, that, that, that is the <laughs> It had to fact. be Peter. Yeah. And there's been a couple of couple references to edibles. We're really on yeah. fire on this show yeah. tonight. Is it a Friday? Is it a Friday? Yeah, it just feels like it. So, Monica, I'll admit that I'm a coward, I guess, because I took UConn to win it all just because they're playing so well at the end of the year and it feels like they're healthy. How do you feel about UConn? Is this, the way the brackets were breaking down at this point, how should I feel about my pick? Um, there, are, who's there? There are the two seed in the region with North Carolina State. I think that's okay. Like they had decent odds to do it, but I think a lot of UConn lives off the lore of UConn historically. Listen, I think Paige is great, but like as a team, I think NC State is better. They're deeper. Now, we could get into the X's and O's of what Geno brings compared to some of his coaching counterparts, and maybe that buys you something. I do think the fact that they are playing basically at home will matter. Um, I, I mean, it's, it's whatever. Like, I think that's a standard take. I don't particularly – I'm not with it. Like, I think I had them – I might have had them not – yeah, I don't have them get to the Final Four because I got NC State getting to the National Championship game. Um, but it's not a horrible take. Are they a team – prior to Paige getting injured, nobody would have batted an eye at – UConn as a national champion. Now the question is, moving forward, do you buy that there's enough continuity that exists and that she's healthy enough to really kind of carry that team through? Monica, what do you make of Stanford? That's another favorite, and Lexi Hall, I mean, she could not be stopped last night. So much fun to watch. That Stanford team looks tough. Yeah, I think they were running away with the game, and so I didn't even realize she had 36 until we came in and sat down today. And so honestly, Spain, the conversation, like Andrea Carter and I were having our terrific analysts, um, was NC State or Stanford? Like we were, we were. Those are the two that have looked most promising. They mirror each other in many ways. And when I look at those two teams, Haley Jones is a big point guard. I think she clocks in at right. I think they list her at right at six foot, but she might be like five ten. Either way, she's bigger than Raina Perez for NC State, who, who comes in at like five five. And Kai Crutchfield, NC State's really important two guard, is around that same range, like maybe five nine, versus like Alexi Hall, who is six foot, right? So we were, we were literally picking these two rosters apart. They both have great three-point shooting. They play great team defense. They have depth. I do think NC State's bench is a little bit better than Stanford's bench, but Stanford's starting five you might have to give the nod to. And so Stanford has looked great. I mean, Ty has sort of joked about the conundrum of the depth that she has in terms of allowing her players to get into rhythm because she just has so right. many bodies that she could put on the floor. Uh, but that's what you needed in tournament in terms of helping to keep legs under your team. And so I don't know that I expect Stanford to really be challenged um, probably maybe until that elite eight round. Um, but they, no, they look ready to rock and roll and defend the title for sure. Awesome stuff, Monica. We always love chatting with you. I hope you, uh, are you done for tonight? Do you get to... Girl, I'm in a car on the way to my house, Joe. Yes, I'm okay. done. Okay. Oh, look at that. 
Pop some edibles, drink some wine, whatever, you know, whatever, get weird with it. I'll take, by the way, like, for the record, Monica being like, yeah, it's whatever. Like, a whatever from Monica is better than, like, it's good for most people. So I feel good about getting a whatever. (laughs) Right, right. That's right. That's right. Hey, Monica, you're the best. Thank you. All right, guys. Have a great show. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Uh, by the way, uh, 8 Eastern, what is that? That's uh, that's already happened, right? This is, uh, is this tonight here still? This Ohio State LSU, that's probably underway right now. And then we got uh, UCF UConn at 9 Eastern on ESPN. I don't have all the TVs in here, so I'm guessing on ESPN too right now. We've got that Ohio State LSU. And then, like I said, Belmont, Tennessee is going to come down to the wire here on ESPN if you want to tune in to that while you listen to the rest of this show. Uh, you heard Monica talk about the growth of the game. Is the chaos helping? On the women's side, do we need the blue bloods? Do we like the parody? Are most people who are talking about it completely uninformed? We'll get to all of it. Spain and Fitz next. This is Spain and Fitz. Talk to Monica McNutt and we touched a little bit on the issue of parody in the women's tournament. And uh, someone who has uh, bad takes a lot uh, had one about the women's tournament before it started. And he's not the only person that I've seen questioning uh, either a lack of upsets or whether upsets are good for the women's game. So we'll get into it here. It's Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. As I mentioned, we coming into today where there's this whole slec- second slate of games that are going to decide the rest of the Sweet 16 teams, we already had tied the record for the most double-digit upsets uh, in women's tournament history. And it is both a positive because, as I mentioned on Friday, without being able to arrive upon the adage on my own until someone helped me. A rising tide lifts all boats. I was really <laughs> struggling, Fitz, with that one. It wouldn't come to me. But that's what we've been saying for years about the dominance of teams like UConn, Baylor, Stanford, uh, you know, South Carolina, st- teams that have had success, Tennessee for a long stretch there, um, that eventually, in order to compete, you have to put in the resources and effort and time for your program to keep up. And we see it across international as well. United States leads in a lot of sports that other countries are still developing, in part because of Title IX. And what we've seen at places like UConn uh, inspires the rest of the country's programs to catch up. And we are seeing the fruits of all of that labor this year and in recent years. We have had five different tournament winners in the last five years. So some of the claims that there wasn't enough parity to make the tournament exciting were wrong but even more wrong this year as we see a lot more madness. But this is where things are complicated because what do we talk about on the on the men's side? And I'll admit how wrong I was uh, in the beginning when I first started uh, in radio. I always said, you know, everybody loves chaos. And I remember saying it locally in Nashville at the time, and I thought, you know, we always watch the, the tournament and everybody wants things to be wildly chaotic. But uh, my co-host in Nashville at the time, uh, Braden Gall, came back and said, but look at the TV numbers. And in wildly chaotic years where you get unexpected national championship games, the numbers are typically down. So it shows that everybody wants chaos in the beginning. But by the time we get to the championship on the men's side, everybody wants blue bloods and brands that they're familiar with. So, like, knock out some of them, but not all of them. And it has me thinking about the women's side of it because I personally have loved all of the chaos. But I found myself bummed. Caitlin Clark, we mentioned from Iowa, somebody I love watching play. I really wanted to see her mm-hmm. have the shot at a national championship, but it raises this real question of what's best for the women. Like, is it is it best to have chaos but still have UConn win it all? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I do think that on the men's side, we have arguments, I think, in good faith about those things. Mm-hmm. How much chaos do you want at the beginning 
And at what point do you want maybe those disruptors to get bounced? Do you want a St. Peter's to go all the way or do you want a Purdue to dispatch of them? We had some fun with the Peacocks and now let's get back to some of the programs that we trust. Do you want to worry about a national championship or even a final four matchup that ends up being um, lopsided because that disruptive team maybe didn't quite have the caliber to stick with the top ones? Um, It's tough to say because St. Peter's upset Kentucky. Right? This is not a slouch team that lucked their way in. Or on the women's side, South Dakota, that team led start to finish the entire game. They didn't luck in. They didn't need a buzzer beater. They absolutely dominated Baylor start to finish. But on the men's side, we have an honest conversation that I think people have in good faith about at what point you don't want the chaos anymore and you want to see the best players in the nation and the best teams that have been good all year compete. When we talk about on the women's side, I don't know that people are watching the games and understanding the context of the players and teams when they debate it. And so when it's UConn who's dominant, that's the only team anyone watches or cares about. So the only conversations we have on our programming is, is UConn bad for basketball, right? But then we say there isn't enough parity. And then when we start to see parity, it's, oh, but we don't like this program. They're not good enough to keep up. And now they're going to get destroyed by some number one seed that's, you know, miles ahead. We need the players that we recognize. We need the Caitlin Clarks and the Paige Beckers or we're not interested. And that is the very tentative, you know, that's the the balancing beam that you have to walk to, to, to keep people invested because they know the players' names and the stars or to introduce them to a whole new program that's making its way up. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, when you talk about good faith, I think it really hits my, my mind on the approach to any conversation because typically when somebody comes in and says, yeah, but what do we want? What's good for ratings? It's done from a want to have a sport succeed. Like somebody's always going to be pushing for, Hey, I I, I want college basketball. College basketball is great. You know, it's from that conversation. I think one of the problems in these conversations sometimes is that the people that are coming in are such naysayers to the women's sports in general that it feels like that it is that it lacks it's disingenuous right like at some level if you're coming in and saying is this good for the sport are you saying it in a way of you know all right these teams have been knocked out who can i root for now how can i learn about other people or are you saying it from a standpoint of this proves that nobody gives a damn that's a much different tone right. to a conversation and i think it's important here because i would argue and i have argued all year that the number of stars and electric players in women's college basketball is growing exponentially and it's growing so quickly that you can tune into a game on any given night and watch something that's electrifying and interesting. The question is, are we going to commit to telling the stories that that get everybody invested in it? It's a point you've made before and it's a point that I've stolen from you that I think, you know, you have to do the storytelling. The question is, do you want that story to be a negative or a positive? And I guess that's one of the differences. Mm -hmm. It's easy to discount something if that's what you're attempting to do. 100%. Yeah, if your intention is to... Let people know why you don't care as much about something or why it's not deserving of time, resources, money, attention, et cetera. You will spin it in that way. And I think um, anybody who's watched the women's tournament, especially in recent years, anyone who's watched the WNBA, especially in recent years, the product is changing. In fact, Andrea Carter, we um, we uh, I don't know if we have time for it, but, you know, she spent some time on primetime talking about um, the difference between the, in the women's game, the lack of one and dones means you develop that talent. You create these seniors and these upperclassmen who have played together for a long time, and that allows the program to grow and then recruit because you want to go play with this established talent. You also look at 
the physicality of the game and how it changes when there's representation in women's sports and industry and everything. We always say, if you can see it, you can be it. Well, guess what? If you, if you grew up watching Candace Parker dunk, if you grew up watching Fran Belibi in high school dunking and not just clear path, but like the other night where she, she blocked a shot at the three point line. She, she broke away two strides, one handed gathered with one dunked it with the same like that's a different skill set than we used to see and you start seeing that regularly you start training for that younger and then we see a whole mess of people that can do stuff that we didn't think was possible before mainly because we limited our expectations well and representation means more young girls are looking at it saying i want to play basketball too so mm-hmm. like you look at the growth of the sport and this is what happens it's part of the reason i think we see more and more athleticism in the nba is young kids look at it and say i want to play that and it becomes a sport that more athletes become drawn to so it, it makes sense that the same would apply to the WNBA and to women's college basketball in general, and it creates more athleticism. Yeah, uh, and Monica mentioned NIL, too. That's great because there's going to be programs that want to be able to support players that may not be the best programs, but they've got the, the funds, and, and that's going to draw people. By the way, Belmont is now up 66-64 on Tennessee with 49.2 to play. Get yourselves to ESPN and check it out. Spain and Fitz, Freddie and Fitzsimmons are next. They're going to have the entire team of whichever wins this game. The entire team on the show coming up right (laughs) after us. Have a good one. Spain and Fitz.